0: Part of like movement going forward and make my protest is standing on toes and I'm not going to ever claim to speak for everyone or even speak for the people who I think share my experience. Like I'm just here putting words down, hoping someone will listen.
1: Welcome to the fifth episode of Ears Wide Open, a project of the open book at 201 Ponsonby Road. Um, I'm Anna Livesey, I've got a bit of a cold I'm recovering from, so please excuse my voice. And with me today, I have got Sian Denon. Hi. Um, who is a poet, who I saw perform with Irene Corbett, who you would have heard in episode four, if you've been listening along, is uh, The Red Tent. And I was also a poet in her own right. So, welcome, Sian. So nice to have you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, Sian's going to read for us, as is our want, and then we will have a conversation. Wonderful. All right. Just make sure you speak up.
0: All right. (laughs) So, this one is called Leftover Parts. And now I look for a place to take off my hands and put them down, to unburden the weight of touch. But it's all everywhere, scratching my skin, fingering all the burst open holes. Inside the artillery round, there is a tug for any reason to feel. I leave it there, I forget, and I forget, and I forget, and in the combustion, shrapnel memory bursts through my skin. We all, of course, get caught up in the crossfire. All I feel gets lodged into everyone else's flesh, shielding hands pressed up, palm up, against palm, up against the sky, now part of me. I am in their faces and foreheads and breasts, but never bleeding, I light up the Saigon sky. Parts of me strewn across the skyline and up there in the trees, my arbitrary limbs, the ones I don't need, sway in the silence. Bones crack useless parts of me. There is always a silence after this kind of thing. An audible acceptance of the assault or a lack thereof, an okay moment or a lack thereof. And I acknowledge the shrapnel piercing through someone else's eye, leaving a butterfly imprint. But that's not mine. That's theirs now. I don't want it.
1: Thank you. So when I read this poem and some of your other poems, um, I started thinking about the idea of agency. So um, some of your poems feel as if they are very personal and about um, things that are really your own things. Um, And I guess that poem feels like, well, the the one single word in there, Saigon, goes, oh my God, this is a poem about an experience to do with the Vietnam War or using that imagery. And then right at the end when you say... And I acknowledge the shrapnel piercing through someone else's eye, leaving a butterfly imprint, but that's not mine, it's theirs now, I don't want it. It Seems to relate to me, to an idea about whose experience do we get to write about and how do you think about that particular puzzle?
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, So for me, my, as Lisa Samuels would call it, my incurable theme um, focuses mostly around post-traumatic stress. And living.
1: I'm going to make a loud noise and scare her now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just living in existence as I think a lot of women who also share a similar story to mine live with, and living with post traumatic stress is in itself a war. But I think the reference I always pull up to Vietnam, you know, you could pick any war. But with Vietnam, there's just, I just feel like a touchstone to Vietnam because it really began the process of discussing post traumatic stress with things that we don't want or we didn't ask to be put into. So the Vietnam there's like all these old white dudes going, "Yo young minorities, go fight this war for us." And I'm like, and they're like, "No thanks, dude. I don't want to do that." And I think that's really similar with sexual abuse. And I think that like Vietnam is the perfect metaphor. You you know, you're there by no choice, you you know, you're subjected to this horrific war where all this kind of shit goes down, and you're alone because you're only deployed for 12 months and you don't know the guys next to you. But at the same time, you're the abuser, you know? You're being told to be powerful, that you can win, that you can take down as many lives as you want, destroy an unknown enemy, like, and you go home a hero, it's this like perfect little dualism between feeling abused and then continuing the cycle of abuse. Mm. yeah. So, when you're looking
1: for an image to talk about um, post-traumatic stress and sexual abuse stress, and you reach for an image from Vietnam, you're tapping into a whole lot of shared and very public images, aren't you, to talk about something that is becoming more public but is still silent
0: in many ways? Absolutely. I think, like, there's something beautiful you said about the personal being political and poetic, and I think that, like, here I am, a size 14, 20-year-old woman, you know, Trump is the president of the US, and I have to get two doctors to sign off if I want an abortion it's like waking up is like just public space like as a woman you're public space and these images and experiences become public I don't want to say that I can write every Vietnam story because of course I can't I can write the story that I have as a size 14 20 year old woman who's been sexually abused that's
1: yeah and do you feel like you are in any way re-violating yourself or that you are owning what's happened to you when you write about it?
0: I think there's an exploration and room for both. I think I think that writing through it has allowed me to really work it out, relive it in a way that is separate or distant from myself. But it also gives me a space to talk about things that aren't just my own because, yeah, this story is not just mine.
1: And do you want to um, say anything more about events that actually have happened to you or are you more interested in talking about what you've done with it
0: I think like that's the censure that's why I'll never write prose because with prose everyone wants concrete they want to know but did it really happen and what happened the cool thing about poetry is that you can have the concrete right there but you can abstract it and so yeah I mean it's no secret
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I find with poetry so I, I'm a poet as well and, and I always say well it's all nonfiction and it's also all fiction yeah. right and you, and the thing about poetry is that it doesn't exist inside either of those genres so exactly as you say you don't no good poem is not true yeah but also that the literal you know is this telling the story of exactly what happened is yeah. the point that we're interested in at that moment um so what's the urge towards poetry then of all the things so we don't like prose because it's too trapping <laughs> Yeah, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, But what's the urge towards poetry as opposed to some other form of expression?
0: I really like I'm a big stickler and I love when um, form can imitate content. So with poetry and my exploration of post-traumatic stress, like flashbacks or memories or all that kind of stuff, it doesn't happen coherently. And with poetry, it's not about making coherence. It doesn't have to be, like coherence is not important when it comes to poetry. If I see five things in one day, I can put all those things down and there's a poem. If I can only remember three things, then those are the only three things I need to remember. It doesn't, I'm not good with the detailed name, place, story. And that's why I leave prose behind and go for poetry because with poetry, there's no, there's no limit. Poetry is everything, like waking up is poetry, you know?
1: Yeah, I do know. I do know <laughs> what you mean. So it struck me that your writing is very brave. Um, and you said when you emailed me, um, oh, you sort of said, oh, there's some intense themes in here, and the beautiful, brutal, beautiful slash brutal aspects involved in owning a vagina, which you've already <laughs> talked about a little bit. Um, what is what are the beautiful aspects? What feels celebratory to you about being um, a woman in this day and age?
0: I think just. Everything I think, like, like out of all the traumas that could occur being a woman, just being a like waking up in, just living and just I don't know, like what are the beautiful parts of having a vagina and being a woman? Um, I think it just, it just is. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty it's great. It's all you boys out there um,
1: <laughs> who don't know what this is like. It's pretty great. Anyone who hasn't figured out, it's great. <laughs> It's pretty great,
0: but I also don't want to alienate women who don't have vaginas. I think that that's a story that I don't own, and I can't tell. I can tell my story, and I never want to alienate anyone who, when I say the beautiful, beautiful, brutal, and beautiful aspects of having a vagina, I know that there are also beautiful and brutal aspects of not having a vagina, and I think that it's important that that's just said so that you know no one who has a vagina, has to be a woman, but there are beautiful and brutal aspects of every kind of life you want to walk.
1: So it really strikes me thinking back to when I was your age, which is about 20 years ago, um, or thinking back a little bit further to when I was at high school. uh, And I went to a very liberal high school and there were a lot of kind of out lesbians and there was sort of a level of discussion about these matters, but it's just like amped up so much. But it also, um, even that we feel the need to say these things a lot, um, to make it clear that we don't subscribe to an exclusionary view. Yeah. Do you ever look at something you've written or working on and go oh my gosh, I, actually that's not what I want to say because it's too definitive or too exclusionary?
0: No, absolutely I think there is a, a element to writing about sexual abuse and writing these, um, I guess big uh, post-feminist statements that I lead myself into that I do worry about um, alienation and Again, l- closing off certain voices and trying to raise others. And the thing I try to remind myself is that the poetry I'm writing comes from my ex- existence and my experience. And that while I borrow things from Vietnam and from other post-traumatic stress um, highlighted moments, that I can only be true to myself. And I'll be writing and I'll be like, oh my God, I just used the word cunt. Is my mum going to be mad? And like, you know, like... <laughs> And I I just think, like, I love the word cunks. One of my (laughs) favourite
1: words. But um, one should not use it in a professional work context if one works (laughs) in an insurance firm. I'm saying this to myself. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Like, I think part of, like, movement going forward and make my protest is standing on toes. And I'm not going to ever claim to speak for everyone or even speak for the people who I think share my experience. Like, I'm just here putting words down, hoping someone will listen. (laughs) Awesome. So if I ask you
1: um, one more question, which is basically uh, a false dichotomy, but if you had to choose between um, art and politics, um, which is more important to you? Meaning politics in the broadest possible sense.
0: Absolutely. I think, I don't know... Sort of binary? Can, I think no, no it isn't <laughs> in the real world, that's right,
1: I'm, but I'm saying like it's so interesting to me how your work and Irene's work and Sophie's work is so um, bi- and so inherently political and it interests me to know like does I guess, so let me put that question in a better way, if you look forward 20 years, do you still see yourself writing and do you still see yourself writing about the same things or do you imagine that you might your art might have moved on to different um, what did you say incurable themes Yeah. or is the nature (laughs) of an incurable theme doh you can't move on from it.
0: I think the nature of my work whether it is visual art or literary art is always I'm going to have so many more traumas to look forward to oh my god so glorious (laughs) you know and I think that um, the woman's body the woman's experience is public space why should the awful horrible parts not be so I think I'll always be Aiming to bring light to that, and my light to that. Mm.
1: Mm. That's an amazing thing to say. Um, well, I really appreciate you having brought your light to this podcast, and <laughs> um, I would like you to invite you to read another poem. With some. Is there you. anything else you really were like burning to say before we um, get on to that? No, really.
0: I've got not so many really. things open.
1: <laughs> no, she's she's fiddling with her computer. Team. So I will just tell you that she is also wearing a very beautiful dress, which is an amazing looks like viscose um, minty green with pink floral and it's sort of um, laced up front and she's got various crystals and hands across <laughs> her and a lot of hair and she just looks amazing she's so a vision yeah. <laughs> that? Which one should I read? um you need to just pick um <laughs> <laughs> they're all great
0: okay i'll do this one. Okay. so this one to finish it off is called untaught parts and just a precursor it's about being a teenager Alright, so it's a three part poem One We lend ourselves to all the empty space Plug up the gaps in the frequency With fingers and toes From fresh blood womanhood grows Out of me ruthlessly Mercilessly mercilessly, <laughs> With all other parts forgotten This is the new self Collecting bits and on paper Noted the ways we put it all back together Lengthy and beaten and forgotten Is the fresh woman in place For a ritual sacrifice of self Tender and red, I think of the bruises inside, the formidable rite of passage, the one seen to none, in between the constellation of my blooming youth and upside down blood Picasso in my underwear. Two, all the small voices begin to filter out into the camouflaged orange and burning, the first cut only skin deep, no bleeding cunts, no crying mother, I've done worse to myself. Before the bows are raised, they all chime in, fists full of bruised nebulas, Kaleidoscoping across vulva and labia with a kiss of first love. The ultimate purple heart is an internal rupture from being loved too much in the wrong sorts of ways. And now the mothers cry out. 3. Violently empty amongst the co-current surge of hormonal infamy. I swallow my mirror, become reflective on the inside. Today I grow backwards, younger now than before. Clutched within a fury of filling myself up until I disappear eating through what's left until my skin can no longer hold me. It ripples in havoc, forked and splitting, pass wearily across my hips, my breasts, backs of my arms, down my legs, and roots me to this place.
1: Thank you so much, Sian. This has been Sian Denon. This has been episode five of Ears Wide Open. Um, if you want to join us in real life, we read at the Open Book on the third Sunday of every month.